on today's Compassion Radio. And the way I chose to go about this at his funeral, when I played, the opening hymn was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And I laid into that hymn, and I played it with everything that I had. I did not hold back. I did not play it like a mourner. I played it like a believer. First off, because I am. Secondly, because I knew that Mike would want me to do that. Sometimes in life, you feel like you've got nothing to give, yet you give it the best you have. Why? Because time is precious, and we won't pass this way again. Hi, Bram Floria here, and this is the Daily Radio Journal of how God's people do God's work at all times, and sometimes are definitely more challenging than others. A dear friend of ours, and our guide for the next few programs, is back to share from his own experience what it's like to walk the darkest road there is, the loss of loved ones to the evil of violence. Fortunately, he wields the tools of survival with skill and compassion. Unfortunately, he had to dig deep in the tool shed to face a tragedy that shattered the world of his own friends and family, and made international news in the process. And speaking of process, we'll be processing some pretty raw emotions in the series. We'll mourn, but not as those who have no hope. And because you have the ability to truly minister to those in real need, I invite you to join us on this serious journey into the heart. For those who hurt and long for the day when the light will shine again, we'll keep going till we make it there together. Peter Rosenberger is back with us on Compassion Radio, a dear friend and someone who has taken us behind the curtain for some of the bigger issues that churches and individual Christians don't often really talk about. That's what you do with grief, what you do with the impossible situations you find yourself in when you're trying to be, quote, a good Christian or a good servant of Christ. But there are tough things in life we have to go through, all of us do, that put a full stop to our expectations on life. And unfortunately, Peter and his family have been through that themselves personally in the past month. I want to dig more into that, Peter. So welcome back to Compassion Radio. Well, thank you. It is always a treat to be with you. And uh, I agree that these are tough issues. Well, I think you're up to the task of being honest. And that's the thing I really hope for in Compassion Radio is that when we dig into things that are not easy for the church to talk about or to face, that we're at least honest and doing it with a gentleness of spirit and with a generosity of spirit that it makes it possible for us to really get down to the nitty gritty and build real faith. You've done a really good job helping the people that you minister to each week on your Hope for the Caregivers program. So I'm going back to the caregiver to see what it's like when you run up against your own wall and you find that you're stuck. In some ways, from the way you've been communicating the past few weeks, it seems like you in some ways have been stuck with a big event that ended up in the news. Can you walk me through what happened to you and your family and your friends back in Nashville just days ago? Well, I got a text from a friend of mine. We live in Montana now, and I got a text from a friend of mine that said, active shooter at Covenant School. Well, Grace and I went to the Covenant Presbyterian Church there in Nashville for 16 years hmm. and knew quite a few of the folks. And, and I was talking to the former pastor there, and I was getting updates in real time. And it turns out the uh, first person killed was a guy that I knew, Mike Hill. He was the custodian there. And uh, we knew that before the announcement on the news. You know, we all watch this in horror. I mean, I'm just, you know, we see these things, but then when you see it, I, I think the thing for me is when I saw the footage and I saw guys in armed tactical gear running past where I used to go to Sunday school, mm-hmm. that juxtaposition is a bit, there's no really good word for it that I have. And, and yeah. you just, your jaws just drop open and you're thinking, this is surreal. But here we were. And of course, we all know what has happened and the events that unfolded. Truly heartbreaking. And yeah. 
on every level. And I don't know that people say, you know, I don't know how they're going to recover. I don't know that you do recover from something like that. What would that even look like? I think that we adapt. You know, Gracie, when she had her car wreck 40 years ago, she didn't recover from that. She had to adapt from it uh, because of it. And she lost her legs. Well, you don't recover. You adapt with prosthetics. Sometimes I think we call things recovery when in reality it's discovery. Mm. That we are finding new ways to live, new ways to trust, new ways to believe, new ways to function, sadly, new ways to mourn and Mm. grieve. I go back again to when Gracie had her car wreck 40 years ago. What does recovery look like from a wreck of that level of catastrophe? She lost her legs. You don't recover. You discover new ways to live as an amputee with prosthetics and so forth. So I think as believers, we're invited when we're faced with these things to not try to hurry people along the path to recovery. What you're talking about is something that is not a one and done. The answer is spoken, therefore you accept it and you change and you move on. The two things you just described that you're setting us up for, for the deeper conversation, one about the shooting in Nashville being that personal to you and your wife suffering an amputation because of a car wreck. These are not things that happened in one day. No, it's a lifetime. They were the accumulation of many events that led to the inescapable conclusion that, for example, Gracie would have to lose her legs. You fought for those legs for years. And now you're entering in with your friends in Nashville, not just that you knew somebody, but when you say you knew Mike, he was a dear friend of yours that you met on a regular basis in and out of the church because the worship life that you had at the church, you led a lot of it, and he was there personally involved with all that. So I want to unpack that for our listeners, that this is not just a couple degrees of separation thing where I have a familiarity with. This is something that crushed you when you heard the news from Nashville, and it brings up every hurt and pain that you've experienced over all these years and all the the walls you hit yourself in those years. And you even express yourself in that way. What do you do when you hit the wall again and it doesn't move? That's the kind of stuff I've been seeing in you the past couple of weeks. So well, the background for this thing with Mike, I would practice the piano a lot in that sanctuary where we saw on the news Mm -hmm. and Mike would be straightening up. And then sometimes you just sit in the back and listen. I would take requests from him. What do you want me to play? You know, kind of thing. And, and he loved Gracie. Loved mm. Gracie. He tolerated me, but he loved Gracie, which is, I'm not unfamiliar with that. But I will answer your question with a picture of what I did at his funeral. Okay. And the way I chose to go about this at his funeral, when I played, the opening hymn was Great as Thy Faithfulness. Mm. And I laid into that hymn, and I played it with everything that I had. I did not hold back. I did not Mm. play it like a mourner. I played it like a believer. Mm. First off, because I am. Secondly, because I knew that Mike would want me to do that. He would not want me to play it timidly. He would not want me to play it dirge-like. Yeah. So I didn't. And I threw in chords. This is a little inside baseball, but you're a musician and I am too. And, and I threw in chords that could get you thrown out of some churches. You yeah. know? And I, I did that with great intentionality. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. As believers, we can go into horrific situations confidently. I didn't play the piano boldly. I played it confidently. Okay. And there's a difference. I never walk into people's horror with brazenness or boldness in the sense of that, you know, here, I'll tell you what needs to happen kind of thing. I walk in there supremely confident of the gospel, not of myself, but of the gospel, that this is something that we can stand on. It is not going to waver. Now, we will grieve yeah, and we will mourn, 
But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, it's kind of hard to be comforted if you're so busy raging. That's not mourning or despairing. Mourning is accepting what it is, but also you're anchored as believers in the truth of what is also going on, what is also true. Yes, it is true. This is a horrific tragedy, but there's also greater truth that, number one, God is still God and who he says he is, even in this. I think Gracie said it best for me after her first amputation. She said, I didn't know what was on the other side of that operating room door, but I knew who was. And I think that's the truth as well. They said, okay, I've got to lose my leg. I've got to go through this. This is painful. But I also know who's waiting for me there. And Gracie had this really terrible back surgery last year. Well, not terrible. It was one to help her. But I've been around this stuff for a long time as her caregiver and her husband. And I don't go into surgery. I have done a few things close to it, but not in this kind of surgery. I'm not trained to go in there. I don't go in there. And if I went in there and saw what they were doing to my wife, I would be horrified Hmm. in that surgical room. they're, They're ghastly tools. And this man that I did not know very well picked up these tools and did horrific things to my wife's back in order to repair it. Mm-hmm. And I trusted that because of the University of Colorado Medical Center had invested their trust in this guy, that he had been certified for this and this by various state agencies and so forth, that I was going to stand by and let him do those things to her. God uses ghastly tools in our life, things that cause us to flinch hard. And we look at with great shock at times, and yet we trust him. Well, Why? I trusted this guy that I barely knew in Denver to do this to Gracie. Will I not trust the one who I truly know? Not absolutely know, because there's no way I can know God absolutely, but I can know him truly. Will I trust this Redeemer with yet even this? Will I trust this great Savior that we have with yet even this? That's the question for us all. We all do pep rallies for Jesus, you know, when things are going great. But what about when you're playing at the funeral and the guy's body is laying right there and I'm playing great as I faithfulness with everything I have in me? Yeah. Because I said, I will trust God in this. I could hear somebody listening to the beginning of this story and saying, wait a minute, how in the world could they resolve it like you just said, Peter? And I would ask you, have their friends, has, has your church family back in Nashville really begun to enter the kind of mourning as you defined it, that's past the rage, that's past the the spitting and the anger, and it's entered into a place of being willing to let God speak back to us. Are they even close to that? I think some of them are taking steps in that direction. Sometimes you say it, you confess it with your mouth, Mm -hmm. and it takes a while to walk that out. They're going to be walking this out for the rest of their life, just like Gracie and I are. 40 years now with her stuff as she faces more stuff. I did this song called Covenant Lament. I had written it about a month and a half before the shootings, but I hadn't finished it yet. And then after that, I finished the song and I got Gracie to sing it here in the kitchen. (laughs) And uh, I said, would you sing this? And we did it. And I sent it back to my friend in Nashville who engineered it and it ends on a minor note. And a friend of mine said, why didn't you end it on a major note, major key, you know, to resolve that? And I said, because some things don't resolve in this life, but we are resolved to wait for the resolution. And I think that's the journey for us as Christians. Are we resolved to wait for the resolution? 
Just before Christmas, I traveled to Vietnam, a country we've long had on our radar for Bible projects. In fact, Norman Sherry Nelson did some pioneering work there 30 years ago, ferrying in batches of Bibles to the small but rapidly growing church in cities and hill tribe villages. I was astounded to discover that the early work had yielded tremendous fruit, opening doors we couldn't have even imagined three decades ago. For the first time in the history of communist Vietnam, Christians were now allowed to openly celebrate their faith and held two nationally permitted crusades in Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi. I witnessed hundreds of Vietnamese Christian artists and evangelists sharing their faith with tens of thousands of their countrymen, including government officials who had until recently been persecuting the church. The window of opportunity for the gospel is open right now, and Bibles are allowed in. The churches are asking for them earnestly, so please send your best gift today to help us provide the Bibles they are begging for in 2023. Call us today at 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. And please note our new mailing address, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. That's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. Thank you. And now, back to our discussion. We are resolved to wait for the resolution. And I think that's the journey for us as Christians. Are we resolved to wait for the resolution? And that's the good question. If you try to force people into a path of acceptance and healing that they're not ready for, mm. all you're going to do is inflict more damage. Yeah. So you just you just sit with them. I love that in the, the sitting shiva that they have in a time of bereavement in the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. And you go in there, and the person's sitting there, you don't say anything to them. You speak if you're spoken to. That's it. Yeah. And the only thing you can do sometimes is put their hand in yours and then cover up their hand. And that just assures them of your presence. And that's it. I don't think there's any rush to get people to move forward. I think that's cruel. Yeah. We'll grieve it out how we need to grieve it out. And the question is, do we have enough faith and maturity as Christians to walk with people in that grief, however it looks like? Or are we so uncomfortable with wailing? When I go to a funeral over in Africa, there is a demonstrative way to wail and grieve in that culture which I think is incredibly appropriate. We don't have that in a lot of our churches in America. We're pretty stiff in our grieving. Mm -hmm. And so when I did the music at this thing, I wanted to give a proper avenue for people to express that grief. Sometimes music is the only way you can do it, because we're not in a hurry for this. We're going to grieve until we're not grieving anymore. And that may not be in this lifetime. Sandy and I have been working our way through the Psalms of David on our morning broadcasts on Mondays, and there's so much that we learn about David, the person, just by sitting at his feet while he's playing us music. And we have to remember that these were written as psalms, songs that we still sing in churches, that we don't know what the original melody was, but I've learned to picture David sitting there and playing a song to his God, many complaints, many laments, many demands, but also many reminders of who God really is. And we've been taking into our hearts again that David is talking to us across all these thousands of years, not as a writer of Scripture so much as he is a worship leader to us. He is intending to lead us, my family right now in this day and time, in worship, and to treat it like it's an opportunity to worship God for who he is 
in the now, not who he was back then. Peter, when you went to Nashville to be with your body, your family that nurtured your spiritual life through some of the toughest times of your convalescence with Gracie and caring for her and entering into new phases of reality, that there was going to be a time when she'd lose her legs, when she would lose her mobility, but that was going to be the road you had to go because God put you on that road together. Your church came around you for those many, many years and believed in you and spoke into you. Peter, let me ask what it was like for you personally to walk back into that room and be the one that they turned to, to help them through the disaster, the tragedy, the horrific, murderous event that had visited them. What was it like to sit back in the room with those people? I, I've i kind of come to accept my role. What I do for my fellow caregivers on my radio program and everything else is one of a crossing guard. Mm-hmm. And I'm just pointing them to safety, yeah. pointing them to safety pointing them across the street, getting them from point A to point B to safety, not to resolution, just to safety. And part of that is standing in front of the traffic coming at you and telling them to stop. Yes. I do kind of uh, tell other people to back off Hmm. and let the mourners pass. Let them be what they're going to be. Don't interfere with this. Hmm. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about those in grief and sorrow, and Scripture was filled with this. And he is near to the brokenhearted. Yeah. How did you see him become near to the brokenhearted in the middle of what I would see as probably the rage cycle? My perception of the people that I saw on TV during that week where the funerals were happening is that the rage was still very present in so many right close to the action. I didn't see them entering into that quiet place of contemplation of what is this grief going to mean for me? How do I get it out? How do I, as you say, adapt? That may not happen for some time, but that doesn't mean that they're still not brokenhearted. I look at that the same way I look at wounds. I mean, we've had to do a lot of wound care with Gracie over the years. Mm-hmm. When you see an angry wound, what comes to your mind? And, and you see a wound that is very inflamed. Mm-hmm. You see a wound that has maybe a lot of pus or drainage. It's kind of pretty rough. And I've had to change dressings on those things. We've had to irrigate stuff out. It's been pretty rough. Yeah, There's still a wound. There's still a wound. And if you are put off by the rage and all that kind of stuff, and you can't see the wound, Hmm. then you probably need to step back a little bit and let Hmm. others who can do that. Because there are wonderful nurses and doctors who specialize in wound care, and they don't freak out over this stuff. Yeah. Because this is their job. They understand, I am to go into this wound, and I know how to take this wound and deal with it so that it goes to here, to be healthier tissue. Now, there will always be a scar. Yeah, And Gracie has a lot of scars that we have nursed back on her body that were horrific wounds to have to dress and all that kind of stuff. And they had to heal from the inside out. But as long as you keep wrapping bandages over it because it makes it look more palatable, Mm. all you're doing is depriving it of the necessary air it needs to be able to heal. Mm. That's the way it is with our spiritual lives, I believe, in our hearts. When we face these kinds of things, as long as we kind of try to button it all up and make it look presentable, we're robbing that person of the opportunity to get the air they need to be able to heal. Air is essential to healing and clean water. When Gracie had a post-op infection in her back, they had to open her up every three days. This has went on for about two months and they had to irrigate it out with saline solution. Hmm. Otherwise that infection is still there. They had to make sure it was completely gone and saline was the, the stuff, the salt. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these things in the scripture, when you are the salt of the earth, I mean, all these things start to make sense if you put it in that context and you realize, oh, here's yet another way that we can come in gently to this, but confidently. 
I've watched nurses treat Gracie over the years who come into the situation with wounds and everything else. And they are extremely compassionate, but very confident mm. in their job. They know what to do. And the problem is, is if you're letting a first day nurse treat a 30 year problem, you got a lot of potential hazards there. Yeah. You know, I don't let kids in school starting off their career in medical school come in there and start working on Gracie. This is a very complex thing that requires an enormous amount of care and education and precision and so forth. Well, how much wisdom, more so? Yeah. yeah, and wisdom, experience. Well, how much more so when you're dealing with something like this, when you have people being slaughtered, you mm -hmm. have mental illness, you've got politics, you've got this, this, this. And if you just kind of walk in there ham-fisted, this is what we ought to do kind of thing, it's going to create carnage. I've had doctors that have come in to Gracie's situation and bluster about like Clydesdales, and they got it wrong. And she had to pay the price for it. And so now when I have people that come in like that, I always put my hand up. I had some guys that came in when she had this surgery, rehab guys, and we need to move her to rehab. She's still in critical care. She's still got a tube down her throat. She's unconscious, and they're wanting to move her into rehab. And I said, hey, guys, you're out over your skis. Slow down. You don't know this patient. I do. And how many pastors... How many counselors, how many people, how many Christians, how many believers get out over their skis? Mm. They want to prophesy over people. They got a word from the Lord for them. They got this, they got this. I look at it as the three S's of ministry. And I learned this from nurses that took care of Gracie when she seized one time, and it was just a God-awful event. I applaud your wife because she's much cooler under pressure than I am with that sort of thing. This was a long time ago, and I watched it, and Gracie was throwing up. It was just awful. And it got all over me, the nurses, everything else. And I watched something when she blacked out, they cleaned her up. First off, they kept her from hurting herself, mm -hmm. so from flailing out of the bed. And we held her down, even though she was projectile vomiting on us. We still mm -hmm. held her down. And then after she blacked out, we started cleaning up. They changed the sheets, changed the gown. One of them even combed her hair. They had called the doctor by that time. Within 30 minutes, you'd have never known it had happened. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from that. First off, they didn't try to fix Gracie. They called the doctor. And there's a big difference. He changed up some things, got it all worked out, and everything was fine. But they were dressed for the job, too. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference, too. And if we're wearing the righteousness of Christ, it's not going to get on us. And they didn't try to argue with Gracie. There was no point. She's not in a position where she didn't have a conversation. She's having a grand mal seizure. Yeah. So I look at this as the three S's for us as believers and those kinds of events, like what I just went to. You suit up with the righteousness of Christ the armor of God things. I don't want to take the metaphor and make too much out of it, but, yeah. but he tells us we put on Christ. Yeah. We show up, we're there, we're present, and then we shut up. Mm. Suit up, show up, shut up. <laughs> it's not real complicated. They don't need my wisdom. They don't yeah. need me to opine on something. They need somebody to walk with them, and that's what God promises us in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. That's the whole point. Peter Rosenberg will be back with us tomorrow for more of this powerful story. I hope you'll tune in then. But there's an empty tomb A love for all who come And give their hearts to Yeah.
If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And please note our new mailing address, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. That's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We'll see you tomorrow.